And welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, a cause that means a great deal to me personally. Thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear my story, as well as the Williams Formula One team's planning director, Richard Jones, now with more to come. Also, bookings are now open for the Motormouth Charity Karting event with places for the day now on general sale. Enter your team of four to an endurance race and compete with and against a host of motorsport celebs or pro drivers who will be drawn at random to be on your team. Gates open at 12.30 and close at 6pm. For all the information and to see who you could be up against, head to motormouthkartrace.com. We'll see you there and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumour. Without you and our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to carry on doing what we do, which is bringing you the biggest names in motorsport and delving into their lives and opinions. This season, we couldn't be happier to be teaming up with Devante Tyler. What drives you? The pursuit of excellence never ends. You can now enjoy the thrill of the chase with Pro Tourer Sport from Devante Tires. Featuring the latest innovations in tyre technology, including intelligent water management and precision-engineered interlocking tread blocks, Pro Tourer Sport has been designed from the ground up to enhance every aspect of your driving experience. Independently tested at Europe's toughest proving grounds by the most respected names in tyre research, Pro Tourer Sport is at one with the driver. Ask your Devante dealer about Pro Tourer Sport today. Discover Pro Tourer Sports at devante-tires.com slash Pro Tourer Sport. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now today's guest hails from the small village of Alloway on the west coast of Scotland. And did you know, Harry Benjamin, that Robert Burns was born in a cottage in what is now Alloway's main street in 1759. The cottage in which he was born became an alehouse in the 1780s. And by the time Burns died in 1796, his fame was so great that a steady stream of visitors were attracted to drink in the cottage in which he was born. Since then, there's been Burns Monuments and the Robert Burns Birthplace Museum, which was opened in 2010 at a cost of £21 million. What do you make of that, my friend? Do, do you just Wikipedia these things or is there a certain, do you just have these facts from a, a book or what? It's far more uh, detailed than that. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't even touch Wikipedia. This is, this is full, full on uh, research in libraries, Googling. This, this sort of quality takes time. That is the biggest lie I've ever heard in my life. But it is nice to see your face again because it's been, although we do release shows every week, it's been a while since uh, we've it done has. one, I think now. It, it has actually. Who was yeah. it last? Was it Timo? It might have been Timo Glock, yeah. Um, it has been a while. Your beard is looking excellent. Your hair isn't quite so big as it was before. So congratulations. No, I've had the, I've had the COVID haircut, which is uh, great. The post-lockdown haircut, which has uh, relieved a lot of the, the weight on top of my head. So yes. feeling much better for that. Much lighter. Um, now then, we we know we've got a hard stop today because I have to collect the the, the middle child from uh, from nursery, and our guest has has a meeting to move on to as well. So, shall we bring her in? Go on, let's do it. So today we are joined by Lee McKenzie, who joins us in equal standing, of course, with the aforementioned Burns. When you start looking into Lee's career, it actually starts to become quite extraordinary. The volume of work and variety is astonishing. She began her career as a written journalist aged just 15 before joining Border TV. She made her TV news debut at 22 years old, becoming the youngest person in the UK to do so, and went on to present with BBC Scotland at Wimbledon Tennis, Olympic and Paralympic coverage, and of course, as we know her best, 
with Formula One. Between all of this, there's a whole lot more, including the fact she competed as a co-driver in the WRC. Lee McKenzie, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. A very informative introduction. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're, we're famous for here at Motormouth, Lee. But it's, uh, it really is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. So thank you for coming on. Now, I, I stopped asking this question because it became so annoying about, oh, how's lockdown life been? But I wanted to ask, actually, obviously, how has lockdown life been in the last year? But also that it changed the way, uh, I suppose, for you and, and, and your everyday work in broadcasting from home. Did it have a big effect or didn't it? Uh, yeah, lockdown um, one, two, and three here. This is I sort of we're coming out of three from yeah. where I've been, which I went to to Scotland for the majority of it. Uh, absolutely changed, you know, everything that I my diary gets booked up with big events. So the first one I was at Cheltenham for the festival. Um, I wasn't in Australia and you could just see this house of cards. I actually had three suitcases in the back of my car. Uh, one was for Cheltenham Festival. One was for the Wales-Scotland match on the Saturday. And then the Sunday I was flying to Bahrain for the Grand Prix. Three de- very different sort of collections of outfits that you need for, you know, the Cheltenham Festival, big hats. You don't turn up at the Bahrain Grand Prix wearing those. <laughs> so um, that was when it all started. And then Everything after that started, you know, getting cancelled. So for me, you know, Wimbledon, Olympics, everything like that, you could just see it all starting to fall. Um, this year, I think, and I, a lot of people would probably agree, and I, I was never one of these naive, naive people that, you know, when 2021 comes along, it's all singing and dancing. Um, but this year, I think, has been very tough for a lot of people. Um, maybe it's because we all just thought 2020 was so bad that we all needed to, to sort of kick on, and that didn't happen. Um, but we are getting there now, and I'm quite excited about everything that's still to come. So, yeah, if I, I mean, we're on Zoom now. If, yeah, I feel still. that if I have to do another Zoom, I might <laughs> self-combust. But that is going to be the way. And and that's the way that a lot of teams are introducing um, their clients and their sponsors into Formula One because they still can't get into the paddock. So even when I'm not able to go to Grand Prix um, because the numbers are so restricted in the paddock, uh, I am still behind the scenes working for a few Formula One teams and bothering drivers from my own home, which is uh, like the ultimate horror for them. I can still get to them. <laughs> that, that's a really good point because it is, although we can't wait to see the back of Zoom, it certainly has made a lot of things change, which will incorporate it into our um, our everyday lives going forward. But cautious optimism, hopefully, that 2021 yeah. starts to get back to some sort of normality, whatever that may be. But Lee, let's go back to the very beginning for you, if I may be so bold. What was life like growing up back home? And, and when did sort of media and sports come into your life? Early on, my father was a um, Fleet Street journalist, did... Um, a lot of sports, rugby. I mean, I was basically, I always say I'm the, I was the annoying child that had turned up in every press box. So I had, by the age of 11, I'd been to uh, Grand Slam rugby, Six Nations rugby, Wimbledon finals, Formula One. I wow. spent a lot of my teenage years in the Formula One paddock um, doing homework, colouring in, uh, washing the dishes at Ford, um, because there was nothing else for me to do and people didn't really want me to get into trouble. So I knew that, you know, everyone from... Ken Tyrrell to David Coulthard to uh, these drivers, I'd met them. Um, you know, all all your sort of legends of uh, journalism as well, your writers, uh, Bernie, all these people. I'd met them when I was 13, 14. So um, it was a slightly clear 
Williams and I have sort of talked about this quite a lot as well, because when you're a, a kid, particularly a, a girl as well, in the paddock, you know, you're just sort of kicking, you know, kicking around and, you know, get, do not really getting into trouble, but probably annoying an awful lot of people. Well, she had the Williams name, which was mu- had much more, uh, you know, sort of credence than the Mackenzie name held. But um, the fact that I was able to go and do all these things as a kid, I was just, you know just accepted that I, I was there and um, could sort of wander around where I wanted. Did that lead you to get a certain clarity with what you were going to do in the future? Because it, I would never say this unless we were on a podcast, but one of the things I admire about my uh, esteemed co-host, Harry, is that he, at, at such a young age, he has a complete clarity about what he wants to do with his career, which is something I never had in my early 20s, like Harry does now, where he knew exactly what what he wants yeah. to do and how he's going to get there. And, and he's making those inroads. And I think it's very admirable to have that clarity of thought did when did you have that sort of moment of like I was 11 11 years old you knew and actually you were- I, and I know that because I was going to these events and I was a bit like everyone's just like hammering on these typewriters or phoning in reports and things like that why don't I just do it and see if I'm any good so I would literally kind of look around see how I still mark when I do rugby exactly how my father did it and um, I would see people writing in shorthand and I was like, I'm going to write in shorthand. And I just learned it because I was there at these things for hours and hours on end. Yeah. And um, I would write reports and then I'd give them to my father or I'd give them to other journalists and be like, is this any good? So my first work experience was, uh, you know, at national newspapers at 15. I went to Knock Hill, actually, John Clellan drove me around Knock Hill and I sold that story uh, to um, a national newspaper. And it was good enough. There was a couple that weren't good enough. And it was like scrunched up, literally thrown in your face. Um, you know, because newspapers, particularly at that time, you know, it's, it's brutal. You're not getting a help up because you're somebody's daughter. Yeah. If anything, they yeah. want you out of the way. Um, you know, so it was a, a really interesting way of learning. And um, and I'm, that's probably what makes me quite old fashioned in many ways on how I prep and how I do my research and how I conduct myself in a well, in any environment, um, you know, when, how I am at work it is sometimes quite intense. And um, but that's OK, because I have a job to do. And um, that I'm sure it all stems from that. Was it written journalism? That was the initial sort of big dream or were you just? Oh, yeah, I had no, logical... I, I have no interest. I have no idea how I got on TV, but um, <laughs> brilliant. Yes, I, I never wanted, I've never, ever been one of these people who wants to be on television. If I can sit looking like I'm looking now, which is not a great look, I admit, but, you know, writing away in you know, constantly writing. I love writing. I am, um, I'm not being arrogant. I, I'm a good writer. I'm probably a better writer than I am on television. But, you know, the, the balance uh, shifts. And before you know it, you're headfirst into one thing and you're thinking, how on earth have I got here? Um, but you know, I'll still write all my own scripts. I'm saying the words. So I need to have conviction when I say them. And I also have to have the responsibility that what I say is correct. What I have prepped is correct. And, and a lot of people you know, don't necessarily do that, but that's something I always want to do. How much of, of your presenting is scripted? And you know, can you put a percentage on it? Or is is most of it, or you script, like, like with this, like we, we do an element of scripting and prompting and writing questions, but generally speaking, we end up going off the cuff to a certain degree. Is it the same for you when you're in front of camera? Is there a lot of ad hoc? Yeah, there is. I mean, I will, it's a bit different in television because 
for example, we know that on item four, I've got to cover off uh, in terms of, say, it's F1 um, or W series or something. You're going to run in replays of a crash that happened at the last race or, you know, you've got a certain point you've got to... Um, you know, you'll go through your questions with your guests and things like that. And you've got to um, respect what they want to say. And there will be footage that needs to be played in. So you can go off piste a little bit. But um, the sort of the programme you can write up until the live sport starts, obviously, you can't write anything from that point onwards. So um, you probably get a comfortable 15 minutes out of it and then all hell breaks loose. Or if you're working with Eddie Jordan, there's no comfortable uh, minutes yeah. whatsoever. So yeah. all hell just breaks loose. Just gen- just generally, we had him on the show yeah. a few weeks ago. And yeah. It was just complete carnage for half an hour. We didn't. It was just like a whirlwind. We're like, what, what the hell? Half, half an hour, he was on his phone. He was like, come on, let's get on with it. Come on. Yeah. I was like, okay, let's go. Let's Welcome go. to my world. <laughs> Um, now you've covered all sorts of um, different sports. You know, we hinted towards this in the intro. You know, rugby, Olympics, Wimbledon tennis, equestrian events, superbikes, even the A1 Grand Prix, that uh, sort of forgotten motor racing championship, um, and of course Formula One. Is is there a sport you feel particular affinity to that that you you love over and above the others, or do you genuinely enjoy them all? Yeah, I enjoy them all. I mean, um, I love F1. I absolutely love it. But I love motorsport. You know, it's not just A1GP. I worked in F3000. I worked in GP2, uh, Champ Car, DTM, um, you know, Le Mans even a couple of years ago and things. So when you know, when you've been around a sport for so long, your friends drive in it. So it seems like a good excuse to go and try and earn some money in it because you're literally catching up with everyone. You know people. Um and, you know, I, I do absolutely love it. And I know it. I, I sort of, when I go into other sports, I'm a bit like, damn, I wish I knew that person or that person. Because when you're there, it doesn't matter if it's uh, driver, trainers, physios, engineers, mechanics. These people know you. You know them. That That is a big help. And, uh, but then do I love every single Formula One race? No, I don't. You know, I can't say I love Formula One over Wimbledon because then, I, you know, do I love motorsport over tennis? These are standalone events. So, you know, some races are much, much better to go to than others. You know, I would put a, a Spa and a Monza right up there. Um, but I'd also put a Wimbledon up there. I'd put a Six Nations up there. These are huge events that, you know, can... That just bring out the best and the people that are competing in them, and I think uh, that that's a huge point as well. So uh, I don't love every F1 race, but I do love it as a sport, and that's probably where I'm at my most comfortable. Mm, I think a lot of people might agree with you there that not every F1 race is the best thing on the, yeah. in the world. Um, but speaking of F1, and we, we touched on it earlier. Obviously, you were in and around the paddock from such a young age. When did that um, jump onto BBC's coverage and, and getting that TV role? When did that come, and, and how did it come about? Um, well, ITV lost the rights. Uh, we knew that was going to happen. Um, 2008, in the summer, I went in for an interview. I just got in touch. Um, oh, no, someone, I think, got in touch with me. I'd done a... They, they basically did a F1 cars ran up and down Regent Street one year. Oh, and wow. I hosted that last minute. I got called on the day um, Louise Goodman had to pull out for personal reasons. And um, I went and hosted that. And I think I'd been doing A1GP and I'd done GP2 and I knew a lot of the drivers anyway. That was fine. So um, the, the same people, I think, that made the BBC programmes um, had been involved in that and they, they invited me in. And I just always 
felt that I would get it, which is an odd thing to say, uh, which now I look back and I'm like, what an arrogant person I must have been. But I think I, it just felt right. It just felt like it was that time. Um, and I went in for my interview and it's really strange. I remember and Ben Edwards reminded me of this last year when he was stopped that I had we talked about different people we would all recommend and all the rest of it. And I remember running out into the car park, phoning Ben, going, Ben, they've not got your uh, their, your application yet. They don't have it. They can't find it. You need to apply again. And then three three or four years later, it was, um, he got that job because they'd actually given it to somebody else anyway. So, you know, it's a small, small world. Like, we were all friends. I, you know, I was speaking to Ted Kravitz this afternoon before I came on this. I you know, talk to Karun a lot. You know, it is a really small world of different people. It's not Anchorman just because someone's on Sky or someone's done BBC <laughs> or Channel 4. It doesn't mean to say you don't like each other. It's just a nonsense. Um, so, and, and motorsport is a small world. So I'd worked with different people on different series and then for a period of time, you all come together. Then the rights go elsewhere and everybody moves on. Yeah. And, and that's just how it is. It's just very cyclical. Take us back what? to that first ever yeah. F1 race. Do, do you remember the feeling? Because F, the F1 fan base can be quite unforgiving, particularly if you're on Twitter. And uh, Do you remember the feeling when you went live for the first time in Formula One? Uh, TV. So my first one was actually the Brazilian Grand Prix in 2008, which isn't a bad one to start. I was doing that for Radio 5 and I had no clue where I was meant to be. That's a weird one as well, actually, because it was DC's last race and uh, his family hadn't gone out to Brazil. But my family have always been quite close. And uh, my father was wearing his kilt on the grid as a sort of mark of respect. But I was just thinking, this is my first race. Let's just get through this. And um, it was all very strange. Uh, we'd been, I was with Crofty and Jason Swills, who now works for F1.com. And basically, we'd been held at gunpoint. And you can't imagine everything that went into this whole weekend. So it was a total chaos. And um, then my first race was obviously... Nine, um, and it was already before we got there. We knew like Braun had come in. It was just crazy situation. I was excited. I was just hugely excited. I at that point, you know, two thousand and nine. I think I joined Twitter in two thousand and eight. Most people weren't on Twitter till about twenty ten. Nobody gave a toss. I, I still don't really give a toss, to be perfectly honest. Um, if it's a question of being respected or liked, I'll take respected every single time. But um, And if you do your job with that conviction, then that's absolutely fine. Those first few races actually went really well uh, from me for a, from a work point of view. Um, and then there'll be peaks and troughs, absolutely. Um, but, you know, some sometimes you come off air and you're over the moon and other times you're just head in hands, what's just happened. But... Um, you know, I think that that was a good team. That was a, a really good team. And in those early days, you know, we were live for every single race. And we were, you know, by the end, trending on social media uh, for every single race, every single practice session. And and, and that is incredible because it, it's different. You know, those viewing figures were so, so high. Yeah, I remember that was when I probably first started watching Formula One around that time and when BBC had the coverage. So I remember it quite well. So it's, it's a bit weird suddenly sort of meeting you through the medium of Zoom. But is there anything during that time that particularly stands out for you? I understand that's probably asking for you to recollect quite a lot. But is there a couple of maybe standout moments for you could be an interview, anything that you just think, God, I, I, I was there to witness that. How amazing. I mean, there'd be a few. Uh, yeah. There was the um, one I did with Lewis 
in Monaco where he did the whole Ali G thing about, um, you know, what he'd been into the stewards about four times that day. <laughs> I think actually the driver steward was Ali McNish, who's a great friend of mine. Um, so, yeah, it, he did a sort of that. Like, he did the Ali G line of maybe it's because I'm black. Mm-hmm. And um, that went, that I was front of every newspaper. Um, that was a big moment and a difficult moment, actually. But we got through it and we spoke between races and things like that. And by the time we got to Canada, um, he and I had sort of like made this little pact to try and stick together to get through it. Because everyone hated both of us. You know, that's the great thing about Twitter. It unites everybody in absolute yeah. hatred, no matter what side you're on. Um, so that was a, an odd one. And just, um, yeah, I don't know if it was necessarily the BBC days, but... Um, you know, I did some great interviews or was lucky enough to have the confidence of of Michael when he came back into Formula One, Michael Schumacher. And I took a horse over to his yard in Switzerland and competed against him. And, uh, you know, it, days like that, you just sort of look around and you think, is this real? Yeah. Um, and he was very generous with his time. And um, even when he'd stopped uh, in Formula One, um, you know, he invited me back to do interviews at uh, at the ranch and things like that. And I was very fortunate that there was the trust. Also, exactly the same with with Sebastian as well. You know, that the interviews I've done with him over the years um, and the, the sort of trust that we have together and the respect. I mean, like sometimes after an interview, I think that's maybe the measure of respect. Uh, he would be like, what on earth were you thinking? Why did you say that to me? Or and other drivers have done it before. And I'll always put my point across as to why I've asked a question. And, um, you know, sometimes it works out and other times it doesn't and you move on. Yeah, we've got, well, there, there are some interesting ones with uh, with the likes of Vettel. And we will touch on that later. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, Devante Tyres. Actually, I'm not going to say anything. I'll leave it to six-time Olympic cycling champion and racing driver, Sir Chris Hoy. Whether in my cycling or motorsport career, I'm always looking for that winning edge. The difference between ordinary and extraordinary. I'm Chris Hoy and I choose Pro Tura Sport, the new ultra high performance tyre from Devante. F1 seems to be, to me anyway, to be in a relatively positive place at the moment after, you know, a mere few years in some people's eyes. And... You know, F1 viewing figures gone up and down. But at the moment, it feels like there's a lot of young talent coming through. We've got some interesting personalities and some feisty personalities, some good battles with the likes of, of Max and Lewis and some good storylines. Do you feel like F1 is having a bit of a resurgence at the moment? And and are you excited about the future of it, especially with the, the new regs coming in next year? Yeah, it seems healthy, doesn't it? I mean, you, there's a, a, a lot of talent Um and I think there kind of always has been, but people just remember, you know, who wins every single race and they have, uh, you know, instead of appreciating what they have, and we're all guilty of this, like, oh, Lewis won. Okay, Lewis won. Um, a bit like Michael won or Seb won. And, you know, like people think like that. They don't sort of like remember the big battles necessarily. But um, Max Lando, Daniel Ricardo. Esteban stepping up, uh, even Fernando coming back, you know, George Russell. There is a really talented uh, pool of drivers out there. Um, And regulation changes, you know, are are always exciting. In the past, when we get a regs change, all that seems to have happened is, um, you know, Red Bull won for four years, Mercedes win. So I'm hoping that it's something which um, tightens the field and... um, of course, someone's going to have a march on it. That's just naturally what happens. But, you know, 
it wouldn't it be great if you had three teams say fighting out for a yeah. world championship you know that that's kind of what you dream of and and there has been that you know there has been that um you know not so long ago we'd be in brazil wondering if it was going to be fernando or um sebastian you know there was obviously abu dhabi mark weber then there was that gr- couple of great seasons with with nico the madness of double points but um you know and things like that but at the same time you know these battles have been there we just crave something different because we have sort of short attention spans yeah. We want that 2012 season back where it was six different absolutely. winners in the yeah. first six races. That was madness. Everyone going absolutely ballistic. Yeah. Yeah. And that final race of Brazil as well. I think as you touched it, was it Fernando? Yeah. Was it Vettel? Oh, absolute madness. But fingers crossed that does, as you say, tighten the field. But Lee, it is now time uh, to test your knowledge um, of yourself and your oh. career. So hopefully that makes things a bit easier. Oh. This... Well, yeah, that's better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> this is the Motor Mouths quiz. Now, Tim, we've done it. We've inverted it. Normally you intro it. I've, I've sort of suddenly done You've totally done it, got, you've so... gone rogue. Yeah, you've... I've gone rogue. Sorry. So the music on. will come in and... We'll get on with it. So, Lee, this this is the hardest quiz in motorsport. Uh, now, I have for you four clips from various uh, interviews you've done over the years. Some, some I would say, are quite iconic. Um, and uh, I'm going to play them to you one by one. And then, basically, we, we need you to provide some context behind it. Uh, there's three points up for grabs for each one. And then a bonus point at the end, uh, 14 points in total. Sometimes I just hand them out just because I'm feeling feeling <laughs> like it. So it's that kind of quiz. Uh, and it's a big old leaderboard as well. At the top is Alexander Sims currently with Still. 14 points. Oh, wow. If yeah. you get 14, you then go to the top. It's whoever's the yeah. most recent uh, performer. Mark Webber is up there is in fifth with 12. David Coulthard could only manage 10 and that puts him 25th. So um, he's sort of, I oh, think wow. that's, that's, there's quite a few on 10 points. So I think we'll aim for there. there. Are you Big ready? midfield. It yeah. is. Are you ready for your first bit of radio? I am. Okay. Let's hit it, Tim. Here it comes. It's, uh, still mad at you. I'm going to lose my job if you don't give me one no. question. I will, I will. You need to give me one question no, about the race, please. Please answer one question. Please, well, I won't be here, so I won't know. Just answer me one question about the race, please. Oh, awesome. yeah. I was, that was watching great. that going, oh my God. <laughs> but do you know so the funny brilliant. thing about that interview is when Seb is obviously angry with me, and then when I say that if he doesn't ask the question, I'm going to be sacked, he's like, well, I won't ever do another interview with Channel 4 if they sack you. I was like, well, there's a way around this. Yeah. Just answer the question. You know, like there's no point getting angry at Channel 4 when you're creating this situation. So yes, Canada. Yes. Well done. That yeah. is a full house. That is a full house. Um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg at the moment. Because, and I uh, did actually have goldfish <laughs> called Berger and a Lacey. So this is, that was oh, the yes, only thing course. that saved the day. Yeah, was he actually was he actually annoyed? Because it seemed like yeah. he seemed quite playful at the same time. It, I wasn't it, quite sure. It, if it, he... No, it is. It was yeah. playful, but then it just took <laughs> took a turn. <laughs> Well, um, that's not the end of your uh, tricky no. interviewing. Uh, let's have clip number two, shall we, Tim? Here we go. Go on, Jake. See if we can pop in there. Are we, um, is this as oh, far no, as we'll get, or are we allowed to see off. your home? Bernie. That was a question from Jake Humphrey. I'll let you go inside. <laughs> Jake Humphrey really putting you in it there. <laughs> he stitched me up. <laughs> he really did. Absolutely. What is Bernie like as a, as a character, sort of, to, to be around? He's great. I mean, I mean, that might seem controversial. He's only ever been great to me before I even got to Formula One. Um, very helpful. I, you know, 
when I presented the Japanese Grand Prix in 2010, first female ever to present Formula One. And, well, it was all free to air at that point. Um, he got in touch afterwards. Um, you know, he's... I understand why he gets criticised. Don't get me wrong. This isn't all like roast into glasses. But let's just remember that he created Formula One to the point yeah. that other people wanted to invest in it and yeah. make it what it is. So, um, of course, and, and there's no, you know, he is a hugely intelligent, clever man. So when he throws out these little grenades every now and again, he's not doing that naively. I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but, uh, you know, he knows when he's saying, you know, women should wear white and be in the yeah. kitchen to blend in with their appliances, you know. <laughs> Do you think he's got a, a wife who speaks five languages who's a lawyer and he's going to get away with that? He is not getting away with that. So, um, you know, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It's funny because yeah. we've had quite a few, you know, team principals and other people of standing on the show, who have some of whom have known Bernie quite well. And I don't think I can recall one, Harry, that said he was an idiot. You know, no, no one, everyone oh, liked him. You know, the people that work in the sport, um, who've worked for them over the years, they've, the ones we've spoken to anyway, have only had good things to say about him. Um, I think yeah. the, the public perception. It doesn't mean to say that everybody agrees with every no. single word he says, but people don't agree with every single word anybody has. But no. when you put yourself up at that level, you're obviously there open to criticism. And then when you act sometimes and say the things he does, yeah. it's like open season. He just chucks something out and then sits back and watches yeah. the fallout. And, I mean, um, particularly now, you know, in his latter years of running Formula One, when social media was coming through and you have the Twitter mobocracy yes. jumping on board, you know, it's... He, he he was never going to come out of that well. Um, no. Harry, we how, could chat. I think we could chat about Bernie all day, really. But um, we're forgetting the important there's a quiz. quiz, here. Come a quiz. On. Yeah. Um, but Lee, you're doing very well. I must say, it's Thank a full you. house so far. Let's. Have... I am a megalomaniac, so if yeah. I don't know about myself, then <laughs> nobody else will. Some people are shocked. Karun Chandot, right? Everyone thinks he's an absolute whiz kid, a brainiac. No. He's last with three and a half points. Shambles. He was because he has no shocking. clue about himself or how to dress or how to brush his hair. No. He just like watches Formula One and sleeps under Autosport magazines and things like that. Yeah. I'm very good friends with his wife. She has no hope. Yeah, yeah, we met her. Oh, actually. Well, they made it, she made us a lovely cup of tea, and we had some little, yeah. we had some bourbons and some other biscuits. It was a very pleasant. Back when afternoon. we could do it in person. Karun also buys cakes and pretends they're his own because his mother was furious about <gasps> this when I went round for a cup of coffee last time. So yeah, we outed him. So that was good. Karun. We'll uh, we'll be clipping all that up and putting it out on socials Excellent. as well. Don't you worry. That, that's um, the reason I'm saying. It. <laughs> yeah, uh, clip number three. Let's have a listen to it, shall we? Here we go. I know it's a pain, but is there any way you can take your glasses off? No, no. It's hot. Ah, you better do it quickly, otherwise I go inside, so... It's that Malaysia Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah, it, I think it's that. I think it was just cut off there. But you say something in being like, okay, and it's just the, your tone of voice. <laughs> I, just... I actually say okay and then roll my eyes. But the, what people didn't realise is, and I, cho I actually chose to put that little segment out because um, that went out on BBC, and then I just got like abused by Kimi fans, and and it, it, kind oh, of everyone is a Kimi fan, and I don't mind that. <laughs> but I had sat outside in the blistering sun of Malaysia for like 35 minutes before he turned up. So, and I also hate asking, take your sunglasses off. I, I don't know why I did. I think it was like year two or something. So now I'd just be like, you know what, keep them on, keep your mask on, keep your beekeeper's outfit on. I couldn't care less anymore. Yeah. But at that time, I thought I should do the right thing. Yeah. Um, just roll with it. It's another yeah. 
classic, iconic piece of it. It was good. <laughs> and it's got you another three points. Doing very well, Lee. Very you, could, you could go to the top here. We've got one more clip for you and then a bonus question. So let's play the final clip. Have a listen to this. Here it is. It was different, uh, obviously, with Fangio and myself because you cannot compare his five title uh, uh, to, to the seven that I have achieved. I feel a bit guilty uh, to have broken those kind of records because I, I don't think I broke them. I, I just set my own benchmark and, and they did their benchmarks. Yeah, nice one. I went to um, Michael's uh, ranch, in fact, um, for a second time after, I think that one was after he'd retired. He just um, newly retired. And I think that was between some races we went. It was round about uh, June or July. And... Um, I just cherish every interview I had with Michael. It doesn't matter. It, he, he's up there with, you know, every time I interview a Roger Federer or someone like that, you know, people who have transcended the sport. Um, and yeah, you know, every moment I had or every question I had with Michael, you knew he was going to give a good answer as well. You know, he wasn't going to fob you off. He had a sense of belief where um, that you kind of only hear from boxers or maybe a Roger Federer, somebody who has absolute um, understanding that they are great. And you sometimes hear it a little bit from Lewis, but even Lewis sounds a little bit sort of not embarrassed to talk about it, but he doesn't always own what he's achieved, whereas Michael absolutely owned what he'd achieved. And I kind of like that because very few people feel comfortable in doing that. Well, I, w- I wanted to include that because it is such a, a powerful thing of what yeah. he says as well. And obviously, with, with Michael Schumacher in the, the unknown state of him at the moment, I wanted to, to know, and just hearing it there, what, what he was like. But also, we, when you first interviewed him especially, what, was, it a bit, was it a bit scary because of what he had achieved? Or was he always quite welcoming and down-to-earth to anybody? I don't think to anybody. <laughs> well, maybe I mean, not to anybody. <laughs> I watched some things back for uh, um, something I was writing quite recently on YouTube and um, a lot of the interviews are on there. And I, I kind of was a bit awkward in watching our interviews, um, but there were such some great ones where uh, he said something, I think, in Turkey to me about, you know, I don't have the... I said, do you have the love of Formula One? And he was like, mm, I'm not in love with Formula One at this moment. It had been, it's come back here, bad result, bad result, bad result. And then we go to the next race and he wants to do an interview to clarify the situation. So uh, I asked my question. I was like, Michael, lovely to see you. And he goes, I believe I made you quite famous last week. <laughs> and then he went, oh, I don't mean you. I mean, obviously us. And I, like that. And I just remember <laughs> thinking to myself, he's obviously thinking this girl's come back again. Like, you know, she thinks she's all that because yeah. she's interviewing me. But I always got on well um, for, for whatever reason. I don't know. There was ones as well, like during Silverstone, um, I went to the Mercedes factory with him and I was allowed to paint the TriStar on the front of the car. And it was like, you know, that, that is a skilled job and someone like me should not be doing this. And the spray thing, which is just like a pen, flew out everywhere and the, the front of the car was a mess. And he picks up my hand. And again, this is on uh, an, an interview. And I just had my nails done. And he then gets the this spray paint for the car and then just tries to do my nails. <laughs> but essentially, I then look like the tin man from the Wizard of Oz because my whole hand goes silver. So I was thinking, is this like even, you know, do I have to go to the doctor? Is this, surely this isn't good for my skin. Anyway, it wouldn't come off. So this was the Wednesday way before the Sunday I turn up to present the driver's parade. 
And so all the drivers come on and um, Michael and Seb were always together. And Michael comes up to me and he's like, you know, let me see your hand. And my hand is silver. Seb is just looking, thinking like, why is this like, you know, legend of our sport walked up and grabbed her hand? Like you could see the thing, like just like working around because they're both quite similar, both very methodical yeah. people. And I was like, yeah, he spray painted my hand. And Seb was like, I do not think this is safe. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's not safe. Like I've had no feeling in my hand for like you know, five days now. So, yeah. Um, you know, the great memories, but uh, just a pleasure to spend that time with him. And, and obviously, that feels even more poignant saying that now. I, but I understood um, just like every time you spoke to Nikki Lauda, you know, you listened. Yeah. You absolutely listened when you were in those situations. And those 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 interviews have extra meaning now, like you, like you say, Harry. And it's it's funny listening to that back. Even just then, it gets you, doesn't it? You sort of you listen oh, to his does. voice, and you, you know we play these clips, and you sort of sit through them or whatever. Once like that, you just sit back and just listen, and you could listen to it for ages because of everything mm. that's happened since. And he is so iconic, and like you say, he's he has transcended the sport. And hearing his voice even then just gets you in the. It, it makes you emotional almost. It's it's a strange thing. Um, but listen, we, uh, we're digressing from the quiz again. But you are doing incredibly well. And I'm getting a little bit excited that I might have to make a new graphic for a, a first oh, place yes. here. So, uh, but Harry, over Down with you. Sims. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you, Lee. Um, you have <laughs> one more point that you can get here uh, if you answer this bonus question correctly. Jamie Chadwick won the inaugural W Series. She did. But yes. who came second... Right. Oh, come now, on. Now, this is an interesting one. Let me think about this methodically. I think Alice Pearl finished third because she did well at Brands Hatch, which was the last round of the season. It was. Hmm. Oh, well, in that case, it can only be Bites Gavissa. Hey! Oh, she's do, done it. Do I, have, do I have a round of applause? No, I don't have that. Oh, wow. I'm try, trying to find a round of applause. There we go. Yeah, that's... Lee McKenzie, that is a full house of 14 points and you have absolutely smashed the leaderboard. You've gone top. You're ahead of Alexander oh. Sims, Dilbag Gill, Connor Daly. You're ahead of them all One at the day. top of the leaderboard. Well done. Congratulations. A career high, I'm sure. Thank you for playing the Motormouth <laughs> Quiz. Wow. That... <laughs> and thank you for letting me get that question right because I'm, con- I'm actually currently doing my W Series contract and if I'd got that wrong, I may have been sacked. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Imagine getting all the questions right on yourself and getting one wrong for your like, client. Job, that would have yeah. been hugely embarrassing. <laughs> Booted by Catherine. With the, how, do you, how do you say her name, Harry? You can, you can never get her, her name right. Go on. Catherine Bond. Uh, Catherine Bonmieux. I got it. I can get it right you now. Got it right. Catherine you, Bonmieux. I, I, I could. I couldn't pronounce Muir for some reason. Mm-hmm. When we, we met, we went to W Series and interviewed her, and I just could not. And she was laughing the whole time as I was trying to pronounce her last she's name. She's hilarious. She's, she's a great. Person. I couldn't get it right. She's completely she mental. She's she was great fun. <laughs> um, now um, you've interviewed countless people across sports. Who's been the biggest? I mean, Kimmy must be up there as, as a tricky one. But who who's been the most challenging to interview? Well, it's a difficult one because I don't think um, it's necessarily one individual, but when you interview, Formula One tends to be, for example, if I use that sport, one happy person, one person who's just going to be pissed off yeah. either coming in second or third. So you could probably, probably a Valtteri because if he's not one, then, you know, he has high, high standards and it's sort of, you feel it kind of wears him down a little bit in the same way, Sometimes I used to feel a little bit interviewing Felipe um, in that sort of way that it's just like, oh, God, you know. Um, 
and I love it when these guys do win because, you know, it, it means double to them in some respects. Um, and then really there tends to be a bit of a midfield or a whole lot of pissed off people. Um, <laughs> and at least in tennis, you get one happy person, one pissed off person. Um, so I don't know. It's a difficult one. Anyone who is disappointed, anyone who is, I, I would say the hardest interviews. And again, I would. I used to actually just say this to Felipe outright, um, particularly those Ferrari years. Sometimes you'd get to Monaco, race five, and you'd be like, you know, I hate to ask this, Felipe, but are you are you fighting for your contract? Oh. And you'd be like, look at. You'd hate the words coming out your mouth, yeah. but it would be written all over the press at the time. Five races, and a little bit like we get now with Valtteri. And I hadn't really made that comparison until I just put their two names together, but. Um, you know, these guys are never doing badly, but it just never seems to be enough for a lot of people. So there's that constant uncertainty. And it's not nice to have to ask those questions. Yeah. You know, we are all human. They are human beings. And when you're asking questions about someone's livelihood or job or whatever they absolutely love to do, um, and it doesn't matter who you know, who it is, uh, a driver who's about to lose their job is, is probably definitely the worst interview to do. It is a bit mad when you think about it, isn't it? Because I know it's, it is sport, it's kind of accepted, but imagine if that, if they turned around and said to you, Lee, after oh, you've yeah. done one, like that Kimi interview being totally. like, that didn't go well, did it? Is that the yeah. end for you? Like, it's, it's, totally. it's, it's crazy. When you, like, it, so it feels always out of order in a way. But Yeah, asking people how much sport. they earn, asking people how yeah. long they've got left in their job. But you, yeah. Can you, you, honestly, if this was day to day, somebody <laughs> were getting Ridiculous. punched in the um, well, look, Lee, we're, we're rapidly running out of time. So um, I just want to touch on one, one big thing uh, with you, which is uh, obviously W Series, and we're looking forward to that. Getting back underway this year, especially supporting Formula One as well, selected races, and we didn't get any action last year, but um, yeah. so we're, we're dying for it. But obviously that brings up the whole debate as well that we often talk about, which needs to be talked about, is women in sport <laughs> and women in Formula One. Uh, and we actually had Emma Kimmelainen on the other yeah, day, who great. is absolutely brilliant. And she, honestly, yeah. if, she, if she doesn't get any kind of role in F1, one it will be an absolute travesty but how after having the first season and perhaps a slightly stalled second year do you think um in terms of getting more women into not just formula one but in top tier motorsport in general it, it, it's working even after one year or do you think it still needs more time to really be be developing that that next level of, of young girls coming up yeah, it needs more time and i think um you know it probably needs a lot more time because it, Nobody should just be turning up in a top tier of motorsport. That has got to be built from the ground up. So really what you want to do um, is, you know, create a greater depth in karting. And then that feeds through to your single seaters. And then you see it actually. And Alice Powell is a great example of this. She driver coaches uh, people like Abby Pooling and, uh, you know, a couple of drivers uh, who are now in F4. And then that's hopefully going to keep going up and up. And it has to be a ladder um, because... You know, for years and years, there have been guys driving in Formula One, including this year, who are not good enough to be there. You know, that is just the nature of that sport. Yeah. Um, the female who gets to Formula One will have so much focus on her that she is going to have to be, you know, wrongly she is going to have to be better than making up a number because and, and I say that without trying to be flippant because there are people there making up numbers there always have been it's just you know as soon as you get money involved in a sport like that then people will come in 
you know, who there will be a lot of other better drivers out there. But because this this female is going to turn up and have the weight of the world on her shoulders, you know, she just cannot be spinning out on lap one, spinning out on turn one, crashing an FP1 week in, week out, you know, not finishing races, causing chaos, uh, you know, blue flags, all that sort of thing. And that's a pressure. That is a real pressure. So the person who turns, who has that sort of unenviable task, it is going to be an unenviable task, apart from the fact they're an F1 driver and you should never feel sorry for an F1 driver. But it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be really, really tough. And that's why I hope um, that it's just the, the, the right person and the right time and everything um, the, the, everything collides. But the more people that are filtering through, the more likely it is that it's going to happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, we, we actually had tons more to talk to you about, so we're going to have to do a round well, two because um, we're, we're rapidly um, <laughs> heading towards pick-up at school time for me. Um, but um, <laughs> but uh, there are three final questions which we ask all of our guests, and I am going to chuck in a fourth, Harry. Um, so um, we'll, Do I get points? There's no points awarded. <laughs> I'm very competitive. You, you're, you're at the top. You're as high as you can go. Oh, yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so uh, I'll kick off this week. Um, Lee, first of the final three that's now four, what has got you excited at this very moment? Oh, um, at this very moment, I've just, uh, I've got a couple of new programmes that are coming up in the summer. I've unfortunately had to pull out of the Olympics to do one of them, which is an, a nice, I suppose, odd situation to be in. But it sort of signals the fact that hopefully things are opening up and we will get fans to sport and sport will continue and we can meet our friends. And uh, I find that very exciting. I'm a positive person, um, so I always sort of look for the positives and things anyway, but I really hope that it's not a false dawn like we've had before and and things will continue. That is really exciting. Um, If not doing, though, what you're doing, reporting, presenting, broadcasting, journalism, what would you have done? What would you be doing? Hmm, probably. I, I, I mean, I did uh, a lot of driver PR before anyway, um, and I still take care of a couple of reprobates who drive all over the world. So uh, I would have gone down that route um, in, in a much more sort of like serious manner. Mm. Um, I mean, I did do it in GP2 and I've done it in ALMS and, you know, with a, with a driver who's, who's done Le Mans, things like that. But I would I would do that as a, a sort of full time. Very good. And what are you scared of? Well, I am, if I'm giving a profound answer, I would be scared of uh, people, loved ones um, having any sort of injustice, pain, something happening to them because you can always control yourself. You know, if I get, if I hurt my foot, if I get hit by a bus, if I do whatever, you know, that's for me to deal with. But the thought of other people suffering, I don't like. But if I'm being much less profound, I'm scared of spiders. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. Finally, we have spiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spiders. So, yeah. Well, it's better than uh, we, we've had some odd ones um, from a fear of tea bags to killer whales. Um, or, or, Who said tea bags? Crofty. Crofty. Oh, for heaven's sake. Classic Crofty. Crofty. <laughs> He's, and he, was it him that shares that phobia of me with the. the yeah, so, so it, come, it stems, I think, from a fear of tiny holes. Which I have. Um, That's an yeah. actual thing. Like, to, like lots of tiny holes on an object. Ah, oh, I can't even talk about it. It's ridiculous. It's, it, well, like honeycomb. Exactly. Yeah. Honeycomb, or there's this weird dried plant that has lots of holes in it, and it just, I can't even look at it. Oh, yeah. It's just, I can feel my skin starting to go now, so I'm going to just. I'm gonna, as soon as I'm finished this, well, after my meeting, I'm getting on the phone to Crofty. Yeah. <laughs> he's, 
I don't believe this. There's yeah. tea bags. He, you know, he, he doesn't have tea. He can't make it. It's, it's a nightmare. I think I, I was just, assuming what he said was true. He's just getting so, out uh, making the tea. Thing. He, just doesn't, he just cannot be bothered to make the tea, so he's, he's made up some feeble excuse yeah, of being maybe. terrified of tea bags for his missus. Um, I'm going to ask this one final question because I feel like mm-hmm. I can with you, Lee McKenzie. Would you prefer and why to be covered in feathers or scales? Feathers. For what reason? Why? Because feathers are much more tactile and fluffy, whereas scales are like insects, reptiles, all that sort of thing. I don't like it. You, uh, you didn't touch on the fact that you might be able to fly if you had feathers. Mm, that's I don't know, but that's a step too far. <laughs> Just, everyone, everyone's like, oh yeah, feathers. I'll, I can fly with feathers. And yeah. uh, um, I think only Alex Brundle right. said, um, oh, I can fly with feathers if they're arranged in the correct order. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just because you have feathers, not every bird that has feathers can fly. Good point. Yes, that's very true, actually. Good, good point. Well, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, fair dues. Feathers it is, <laughs> for the tactile reasons. Um, now, listen, Lee McKenzie, thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Like I say, there's a ton of stuff we haven't covered, so we're going to have to get you on again in the future. No um, problem but, at all. Um, all the best with W Series, F1, all your other sporting exploits. We'll, um, thank you. we'll sh- sh- hopefully see you in a paddock one of these days soon um, when we all get back to, to proper racing yeah. full time. But um, Lee McKenzie, thanks for joining us on the Motormouth Podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Before you go, one final reminder to check out our sponsor, Devante Tyres. What drives you? The pursuit of excellence never ends. Enjoy the thrill of the chase with Pro Tour Sport from Devante Tyres. Pro Tour Sport is at one with the driver. Ask your Devante dealer about Pro Tour Sport today. Discover Pro Tour Sport at devante-tyres.com slash Pro Tour Sport. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.